Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, assistant sports editor for multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined for our weekly Zeiss is Right video by Post-Gazette columnist Paul Zeiss. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today, Adam? Hey, I am hanging in there. We are at the end of the Steelers preseason. Their final game is tonight. We're recording on Wednesday, but they are they're playing tonight against Atlanta, wrapping things up. So, Paul, I wanted to just dive right into some Big topics. Uh, one that came up in Jerry Dulac's uh, weekly chat, our, our Steelers insider, was could the Steelers add any free agents here as we're getting into the cut period? And, um, you know, as, as teams around the NFL start getting rid of guys that, that aren't going to make their roster, well, maybe there are some opportunities for the Steelers to make some pickups. Um, I want to ask about one name in it individually first. Uh, Greedy Williams was cut by the Eagles. Um, I believe he went to LSU as a, and he's a cornerback. Um, would you like to see them add a guy like him to their mix? See if they can rehabilitate him a little bit, um, turn him into a useful corner here, or are you satisfied with what you've seen from Joey Porter Jr., Patrick Peterson, Levi Wallace, this training camp? Um, let's start there. And then I'm going to ask generally, um, you know, about what you might like to see the Steelers do in this period. Well, I mean, Grady Williams had a hard time breaking onto the de- you know, the depth chart, and that's why he was cut. Obviously, um, could the, could could he help the Steelers? I, I mean, I suppose, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly where he would fit in. He'd probably be their fourth or fifth corner, you know, at best right now. And you know, I, I think he's one of those guys that probably the idea of adding him, his name, his name brand value, and all that other stuff is probably more uh probably better than actually what he would bring to you on the field uh and so i mean i i guess if you can get a guy like that uh to bolster sort of the the depth that you have a corner because i i do think that they could probably use another guy uh but i just i don't know if he's i don't can can he play that's the biggest problem (laughs) is is can he actually play that's what i would tell you yeah, I, I think that's. I think if you did pick him up, Paul, it would certainly be. You know, it wouldn't be an overnight thing. It might be like you remember how they used Akella Witherspoon. They picked him up early in the season, but he didn't really get to play, and he didn't really see time in the lineup until well into the season. That feels like what the situation. You know, that, that's probably the move I would compare it to if they decided to do it. Is you know, you have your guys at those top three spots, I think, and then maybe you kind of find a way to work him in late in the season if you get him to the place where you feel like he's ready. Um, and if he's not, if he doesn't get there, then then you can still cut him at midseason if he's that fourth or fifth guy and it won't really change a whole lot for you, right? Right. I mean, I think that's the key is, like, you you bring him. And here's the thing. You could bring him. Here's the funny thing about the, this this season is that you could actually bring him in and you have probably two full weeks you could look at him before you'd have to make a real decision about him. And if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't pass the look test early, you could always cut him and probably get out from underneath him without a whole lot of uh, a pain because of how much time is in between the end of the at the end of the preseason and the beginning of the regular season. I mean, I think that's the biggest issue uh, is, you know, there's a long, long layoff between the preseason and the regular season. And so, you know, and I know we're going to kind of dovetail into this thing, I think there's going to be lots of opportunities for these kind of players to get picked up because I think there are going to be guys that are going to be cut this weekend. And if you're cut this weekend, you know, at the end of the day, teams are going to have almost two full weeks to look at you. 
Yeah, so I want to pull at that thread a little bit, Paul. I mean, what positions would you be looking to add at this point, um, you know, based on what you've seen from the Steelers in training camp in the preseason? Is, is there a position group you're saying, I, I don't like their depth there. I'd like to see them add a guy, um, kind of like they did with Quan Alexander at inside linebacker. It seemed like things were set, but they went out and grabbed him, and and then, you know, they, they added more depth there. What other groups could you see them doing that with? Well, I mean, I, I, I still think they need another receiver. I, I really do. I still think they could use one more guy in that room, um, you know, depending on who gets cut and what kind of receiver he is. Uh, they could absolutely add someone there. You probably never have enough linemen, although it seems like this team finally has a lot of depth in the offensive line. If you could upgrade, you know, one of your backup spots in offensive line, that might be a place where you, you would add somebody. Um, and, and then I would tell you, the uh, the uh, on defense, they seem to be pretty deep. But, Adam, as you know, you can always use a corner, and we just talked about that, and you can always use help on the defensive line. I think that their, that their linebacker depth is good now. I think that they've got good players at, at, at corner. You can, like I said, you can always use a corner, but this is a team that that really they've done a very good job of filling a lot of holes on this roster to the point where you basically say, if something comes along that makes sense, um, then they should do it. But they don't absolutely have to do it. I would say their priority would be receiver. Um, you know, I think I, I I see a team that's got three guys um, in in Pickens and and Johnson and and maybe Calvin Austin. Maybe not. I got to see a lot more from him. You know, I don't know what they're going to get from Allen Robinson. I'm just not, you know, after that, I'm not really sure I'm not, I'm that impressed with any of those guys. So if there's some receivers that get picked, if there are some receivers that get cut that are veteran guys that might be able to help, maybe some guys with a little bit of speed or whatever, I don't necessarily think that it would be a bad thing if they went and got that guy. Uh, and 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 signed them and added them to their room because I again I'm 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 just not sure that I'm that impressed with anybody outside of their top two. What do you think about running back, Paul? We talked about that a lot on this show last week. Um, Ray Fittipaldo suggesting they might only carry Najee Harris and Jalen Warren on the 53-man roster, maybe stash Anthony McFarland or someone else on the practice squad. I'd be curious to see if you could get a guy who's a little bit better on special teams, which is that was the crux of, of Ray's argument is he didn't think they were going to keep Anthony McFarland on the 53 because he doesn't add any value on special teams. Would you like to see them find a guy that could play on special teams so that you have a little bit more depth on game day um, at that spot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a big thing. And, and to me, I, I don't understand. Here's my thing, Adam. I don't understand why Anthony McFarland they can't figure out a way to use him on special teams. I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, special teams, you got, oh, it's a special mentality, this and that and the other thing. You know what they got? You know what they want on special teams? Guys that want to run and guys that are, you know, are capable of uh, of running or making athletic plays. I'm assuming there's some spot somewhere where you can find a space for him. And I know that they, uh, they should want to do that because I think he's a good player. And, and you know, you do want to have depth. Uh, a little bit more depth at running back. So uh, to me, if you're going to tell me that, well, we absolutely can't use him on special teams, then yeah, 
they're probably going to have to go get another running back and somebody that is that. But, but Adam, please define for me what makes a special teams. What is a special teams uh, skill set uh, that, that I'm missing that, that, that they can't figure out a, a job for Anthony McFarland to do? Well, I mean, I have no point of reference to know what kind of tackler Anthony McFarland is, but you, I would think if he can't tackle, that would probably be the big red flag, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's obviously something you have to be able to do. But again, I mean, you couldn't. What if? What, what wouldn't you put him on the offensive special teams? Like we're we're receiving the ball. I guess. I, I mean, I guess you know we're, that's why if if he can't run the ball or receive the ball, but I can't imagine. Somebody as athletic as him, uh, as 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 with his skill set, that you can't find some job for him to do on special teams in order for him to make the roster. I just can't imagine that. Could you? I mean, yeah, I, I think he has the athleticism. It's just, I mean, can you make a hit? And some people, some people just can't do it, Paul. I mean, there's some 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 guys that play on defense, especially you see this more in college than you do in the NFL. There's guys who play on defense who can't tackle. So, you know, I wonder, you know, if he's going up against NFL returners, is he is he a good enough tackler to, to, to get a get? Let's say he's going up against Calvin Austin in practice. You know, if he can't tackle Calvin Austin, then then I guess, you know, you can't put him on special teams. But that would be the only thing that I could come up with. Um, Paul, wanted to ask you um, before we go to a break here, um, is there any area of concern that you had about this team entering training camp in the preseason that you still have now? You and I have talked a lot about the receivers on this show. I think we've seen some flashes of brilliance from Calvin Austin, especially in that first game against Tampa Bay. Um, are you still unimpressed with that position group? And is there any other position group that you are also unimpressed by what they have and, and still have that concern about this team? No, no, no. Receivers, Adam receivers that's the only thing i that's the big question i have is you know because i don't think they have depth there so if one of those guys gets hurt now you got a real problem we've got to see what calvin austin can do you know and 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 the other part of it is i would say um i want to see what they do when they are game planned for right um i know a lot of people are really really excited right now about the steelers and all this stuff and that's great but guess what it gets real the first, you know, when the regular season starts and teams start now game planning for you, you'll see better defense. You'll see more exotic defenses. You'll see more sub packages. You'll see a whole lot more than you're seeing right now. And that's not to say that, Hey, I want to discount everything that's going on because the Steelers have done some really good things, but the receiver group is the one to me that I think has the, we have a lot of questions about, and I'm going to say this also, um, the corner group has a lot to answer too. I mean, Joey Porter Jr. is obviously a rookie. Patrick Peterson, some think he might have lost the staff. You know, there's there's a lot of questions that that probably that group has to answer as well. So um, I would tell you that nothing I've seen from the Steelers, you know, uh, so far, nothing really changes the way I view you know where where they are and what they're going to do. A little bit more Steelers talk coming up here before we get into the Pirates. Before we do, though, I just want to give a shout-out to one of our sponsors, Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors 
but find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Paul, there's been a lot of talk since the Steelers preseason game against Buffalo where Jalen Warren ripped off a long run for a touchdown about whether, you know, it's really the debate that's been had since I, I remember talking about you about this with you on the postgame shows early last season. How far should Jalen Warren cut into Najee Harris's workload? There's some people that want to see a 50-50 split. I think there's some Steeler fans that want to see J- Jalen Warren have the job outright. Where do you land on on what the, the workload balance should be between those two um, going into the season? Najee Harris is your starter. He's obviously the guy that is, you know, allegedly your best running back on the team. And and frankly, we saw uh, some some real evidence that, you know, near the end of last season that he is clearly the best running back they have. It's the preseason. I don't discount it all 100%, but I don't also get all that excited about it. Because to me, I think there are a lot of factors that you talk about and, uh, uh, when it comes to the preseason, again, starting with the fact that teams don't game plan the way that they game plan. Teams aren't playing for the same reasons they play in the regular regular season. You know, coaches are looking to see certain things and certain uh, different things from, from different players. So I don't get moved one way or another emotionally by what happens in the preseason. I just don't. And, 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 and I believe that, that you start the season – Najee Harris should get the lion's share of the carries, right? Jalen Warren should be around to take some pressure off of him. Uh, but I don't think Jalen Warren should get more than eight or ten carries a game, if that. You know, I mean, I, I really believe that if you if you have Najee Harris out there and he's running, I think he's the kind of running back that as the game goes on, he'll get more effective, um, you know, and, and he'll become, you know, there'll, there'll be a wearing out of the defense sort of factor with him. Uh, but you can't do that if you're splitting carries, if you're doing all this other stuff. Uh, I would say, honestly, Najee Harris is your starter and should be your starter. And I don't even know that there should be all that much of a controversy or question about it. Yeah, I'm in the same place. I, you know, I, I love the ability to deploy Jalen Warren situationally. And I think you, you can still see him a lot. I think they've they've used him a lot in the preseason. I think they're they're very focused on getting him ready as well as getting Najee Harris ready. So, you know, I'm not a, a Jalen Warren doubter. I just think that those two work best as a tandem. And, you know, this has never really been a Mike Tomlin thing, Paul. He, he likes to have a bell cow, a guy he's going to all the time. But if you have two guys that, that work, I think as a duo, this is something we've seen work across the NFL. And, um, you know, I think the Steelers can absolutely find a way to have both of them in there but still have Najee Harris kind of taking that leading role. Well, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there is a way you can work him in there. I don't I don't necessarily think he should never play, but I definitely think that Najee Harris should start the season as your guy, unquestionably your guy. That's there's that's the way I look at it. You know, you have one guy and then everybody else uh on the roster is sort of your secondary guys. Yeah, so we'll be, I'll be interested to see how that balance works out. Paul, you also alluded to this long layoff the Steelers have coming up. That's something else Jerry was asked about in his chat. I wanted to get into it with you. Um, 
is this is this long layoff a good thing? Is it a bad thing? You mentioned, you know, maybe you can bring in some guys who got cut and, and try them out in a way that maybe you couldn't have when you had four preseason games. Um, do you prefer this or, or would you like to see that fourth preseason game come back? Especially because, you know, there's not a ton of starters playing in that fourth preseason game back back when it was on the schedule. It was mostly guys just trying to make teams, um, you know, third, fourth teamers playing most of the way, trying to make their final bid. Um, what, what do you think is the preferable outcome here? Um, I wrote about this, I think, the other day. To me, if you don't want to start Labor Day weekend, right, because it's a college football weekend, all, I mean, all you got to do is move everything up one week. I'm not sure why that's such a hard concept for the NFL to, to pull off. I don't think you have to add another preseason game. I don't think you have to do any of that stuff. But if this were next Thursday, you know, and then the Steelers, the Steelers would then have 10 days in between, you know, their, their, their final preseason game and their first regular season game, which is like a normal Thursday night game. Um, at that point, you've got, you know, eight or nine days uh, basically to get your roster settled, to figure out who's what, and who's doing what. And you could still have a full week from Wednesday to Sunday, you know, of, uh, of, of practice and game plan for, you know, your first game. So to me, it, it makes absolutely no sense the way the schedule is. It's the stupidest thing I've ever – usually the NFL doesn't make a lot of mistakes when it comes to the on, on-field product, but this was a mistake. It was dumb. I don't understand why they're doing it. It makes, it makes no sense at all to me, none. Um, that's just me, though. Uh, some people, I think, you know, some people think it's a great thing because, like we talked about, Guys that now get cut, they've got two weeks to find another team. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, you get cut, and then you, you're able to join your team, I guess. Someone else is going to get cut that probably thought they were going to make the team. Uh, and, 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 and to me, it, it feels like the NFL screwed this up, which I don't say that very much about the NFL, especially when it comes to scheduling and things of the such. They're the, I say it all the time, they're the best in the world at marketing and things of the such. But, man, how can you blow it this bad is what I would like to know. And so, to me, it, the long-winded way of saying they don't need to add another preseason game, all they need to do is just move this up a week. Start the season a week later than they started it, push everything back a week, and then you're talking about teams that are playing, you know, 9, 10, or 11 days, actually – you know, you're talking about teams that are playing, yes, nine to ten, nine to ten days. I'm sorry, Monday night football. So nine to 11 days in between their regular season game. That's how it should be. Yeah, I just think 17 days, Paul, just I think takes a lot of the air out of the balloon for the fans. You know, we've we've been seeing it in our, you know, web traffic numbers of the Post-Gazette here on the YouTube channel. There's been just a steady build up in interest in – I think you're going to have a little bit of a, a dip just because there's just not going to be a whole lot going on. We're not going to be able to see what's happening in practice. Um, if they bring someone in, it's not, it's not like it is in training camp. Um, and, and so I think the slow build is going to get disrupted a little bit. And then, you know, the interest will be there when they start, but um, it is, it is definitely just a little bit of a, Oh, now we got to like sit here and wait for a substantial period, like, you know, closer to a month than to like not a month. It's, it's, it's a little bit crazy to me. Um, Paul, I want to get into some Pirates topics with you. 
But first, I also wanted to give a shout out to another one of our sponsors, Goldberg, Persky and White. If you were diagnosed with mesothelioma or lung cancer, call your local attorneys at Goldberg, Persky and White. For over 40 years, their firm has represented thousands of lung cancer and mesothelioma victims. Call 1-800-COMPLEX or go to gpwlaw.com for a free consultation. Uh, Paul, I want to get into this with uh, Henry Davis and right field because I'll tell you what, I've watched him a lot at this point, and I know he's injured, and we may not you know, get this rectified for a substantial period of time now, but his depth perception just looks messed up to me. He doesn't look like he's going to be able to track fly balls. And I'll, I'll say this. When I played Little League Baseball or whatever it was, <laughs> I, I could not hit a lick. And what the coaches do when you can't hit a lick is they stick you in the outfield. Right. And guess what? I sucked in the outfield too because I have terrible depth perception. And then as I got the social clout to say, I want to play third base when I was playing some softball in my you know high school years, all of a sudden I was a pretty decent fielder because it was all reflexes. And I have pretty decent reflexes, but I don't have depth perception. And I don't think depth perception is something you can fix. I'll use another example. You know how people used to tweet hashtag TNDP about Tim Neffert, the former Pirates broadcaster, because you get all excited when a a ball that was not a home run was, you know, it was 100 feet short of the wall. He'd start getting fired up like it was a home run. Um, And that never got better. And he wasn't taking reps trying to catch a ball. He was just sitting in the booth trying to make, you know, just trying to make calls. Right. Depth perception is something you can fix if you don't have it. And and do you think t- there's a, a danger here that Henry Davis is in that category? I just don't think he's an outfielder. I've watched enough of him to say I don't know that he, he's a, he's ever going to be a good – and I'll tell you, uh, the first year that I watched Gregory Polanco play in the outfield, I said, I don't think he's an outfielder. And quite frankly, you know, even at the end of his career, after playing how many years he played, he still was terrible at exactly what we're talking about. The biggest problem they have with Henry Davis, they don't have a position for him. If Andy Rodriguez is going to be your catcher going forward, what, I mean, I guess you can put him at first base, but quite frankly, um, he's he's not a natural first baseman. I mean, this could be a situation where you have, a, you have the, he was the number one overall pick, wasn't he? He wasn't just the number one pick. Correct. I think he was, you have the number one overall pick who's a DH because, and, you know, and occasionally catches because you can't figure out where to put him. But I just think that watching him play, there's nothing natural about him when he's playing in the outfield. You know, it's not, it's, and it's not just about depth perception. The number of times that I see him make a break the wrong way and then have to recover, you know what I mean? Because, he thinks the ball's going, you know, one way. And the, the number of times I've seen him, you know, uh, make plays off the wall and things of the such, there's nothing natural about anything that he does in the outfield. I don't think he can be an outfielder, Adam. And if he's not an outfielder, I I mean, are you going to you know, put him at first base? Um, I think we've seen over the course of time, if you don't have a good defensive first baseman, that can be a problem. So to me, it would be ironic, or I guess that's not the right word, but if you have the number one overall pick and the basically the place that you figure out that you can use him the most and only really uh, is, D, is DH, that's not a good situation if you ask me. 
No, I agree. And, you know, I think the primary argument against putting him at first base is, well, he's never played there professionally, um, which to that I'd say, listen, he didn't, he didn't really play in right field professionally. <laughs> he made this last minute adjustment, you know, at the high levels of the minors, he was a catcher. And, and so it was fine to do it in right field. You should be able to acknowledge that a mistake was made there and try something else. And, and I'd say this about first base too. I, I think it's, it is a much more reflex focused position and he's a catcher you know catchers have good reflexes um naturally and, and maybe he's not good enough to be a, a catcher in the major leagues but you would think that those skills could more easily translate than trying to track fly balls um you know in the outfield and I, I think the other argument is while his arm's really good because he was a catcher wouldn't you like to have that arm in right field to which i'd say sure but if if you're if you're costing the team 10 defensive runs over the course of the season because you can't do the other parts of the job. I don't think the arm matters. Right. That's exactly true. Oh, it's great that you can throw the ball a mile, but guess what? You got to get to the ball and you got to make catches. And here's the other thing. You got to make catches um, that if if they drop in, they become, you know, maybe RBIs or, you know, run scored or whatever. You've got to make certain – and, and, and again, if you, if you don't have a good break on the ball, if you don't – I think it's really hard. I think it's hard – uh, if you're not natural and it's not a natural position for you, I just don't know that he's going to ever be a good, for, you know, outfielder. And if he's not a good outfielder, Adam, I have no idea what they're going to do with him defensively. I guess that you can celebrate the fact that the, the National League has, has become, you know, like the American League and we've got the universal DH. Because if they didn't have the DH, Adam, we would be talking about a, a real problem with him, wouldn't we? Oh, absolutely. And um, Paul, I did want to get into some other guys too, specifically because they have similar numbers to Henry Davis at the plate. A lot of people really love Josh Palacios because he's, he's plucky. He comes up with some big hits every once in a while. Um, but I saw someone on Twitter, I think it was Where Have You Gone, Andy Van Fleck, point out that his numbers are the same as Henry Davis, roughly. You know, all, almost all of the hitting numbers are similar to Henry Davis. And you're very disappointed in the way Henry Davis is hit but you're really happy with the way Josh Palacios is fit. I've been calling Josh Palacios new Ben Gamble all season because I think he's in that role of guy you just had no expectations for who comes in and, you know, is a decent player on a bad team. Um, do you have any hope that, that Josh Palacios can be a real piece here or do you have to see a lot more? It, it's always interesting to me, uh, Adam. A guy comes in. Gets a few key hits, right, at some key times. Makes a few big plays, right? And that becomes the narrative about him. And that's certainly what has happened with John with Palacios. Uh, I'll say this, Adam. If Palacios is anything more than he is right now, which is sort of a, a bench guy that, you know, can start here and there and maybe be a part of a, a pseudo platoon from time to time, if he's anything more than that over the next two or three years, the Pirates are not going to be good enough. I mean, I think he is what he is, and 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 what and you're a numbers guy who actually looks at numbers, as opposed to some people who say they're numbers guys but don't actually look at numbers. And you know, when I look at and I hear about this guy or that, and I, I mean, a great example is Sawinski. I, I was I had you know for some reason I had convinced myself he was hitting 245, 250, something like that. I look at his numbers, and I'm like, wait a minute. Numbers are saying something completely different. So 
Palacios is the kind of guy, he's had a couple of, like, big, big hits. He's had a couple of key moments. Like, uh, he might have even had a walk-off or two. Uh, he's, he's hit, you know, he's hit some really big, uh, but in my mind, he is what he is. I mean, I think he's going to be a guy who you can use as a, you know, platoon sort of fourth outfielder kind of guy, whatever. Um, who's off the bench, who maybe becomes a decent pinch hitter. I'm trying to think of some guys that they've had over the years like that, that, that sort of were, you know, like when they had, um, so in, in 2000, like, say, 13, 14, 15, who, they had, let's see, McCutcheon. What was their outfield? Uh, hey, Marte, McCutcheon. I'll even, even go back further than that. That's right. It was basically, wasn't it Polanco, uh, Polanco, Marte, and McCutcheon, basically? Yeah, and then they added Marlon Bird at the trade deadline. And Marlon Bird at the trade deadline. But they had, I mean, like, I, I'll even go back. Didn't they have, uh, what was, was Cecil Espy the guy? When they had Bonds, Benia, and Vance like uh, that, that was before my time, Paul. Yeah, somebody <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? It was a good, it was a good pinch hitter. You know who could play, who could start here and there. But if, if Palacios is anything more than that, then then this team's not good enough. That's just I. That's just the way I look at it. In fact, I'm pulling up his numbers right now. He's in two fourteen. His his slash numbers. His slash line right now is two fourteen, two fifty six, three eighty three. Um, I'm not sure that's going to get it done. And I would say that he probably doesn't have the upside, at least based on what, you know, uh, the, the pedigree of being a first overall pick is. I would hope that they would give Henry Davis, uh, who's 213-306 to your point, 339, basically the same. Um, you know, I would hope that he's the guy that they, that, that they stick with. Yeah, I, I, think that the, I think that's all spot on, Paul. I also wanted to ask you about Brian Hayes. Um, he's been, he's been on another tear and, and sometimes it feels like he just goes on like a week long tear and then kind of goes back to being just a guy. Um, but this time it's, it's starting to feel like he's really starting to get some momentum. Um, and not necessarily, I, I don't think he's ever going to be like an MVP level hitter, Paul, but if he can be like this type of hitter, just a contributor with that glove at third base, you talk about the numbers, he could be a four or five win guy and, and probably someone who's deserving of winning gold gloves and going to some all-star games, it doesn't have to be, you know, crazy with the bat. Do you believe what we're seeing from him lately is sustainable? Yeah, I think he's going to be, you know, again, I think that the question we've had with him a lot more than anything else has been his health. Can he stay healthy? That's the question. And if he can stay healthy, then I think, you know, at that point, we're, we're looking at it from the standpoint of, um, if he can stay healthy, then I think what we're seeing is real. I do. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, he's not going to be a power hitter, right? But my thing is, you know, can he get – he's got eight home runs right now. Can he get to the point where he – you know, the Pirates can rely on him to hit like 13 to, say, 17 home runs every year. If he does that, you know, that's going to add to a little bit to his power numbers. Uh, he's batting right around 260. You know, can he push that up to 275? I, I actually think he can. I think he can become that guy, you know, who uh, who has a, a fairly steady bat uh, that, that 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 has good at bats um, that that actually drives in runs from time to time. And of course, if he does that with his glove, you know, he's the kind of guy that you absolutely can win with. And so, 
I actually am, am uh, you know, of, of all the players I'm looking at for next year, the one that I'm buying is him in a lot of ways. I think he next year is going to be sort of his breakout year. I, I just kind of feel that's the way it is. Yeah, I think there's a lot of room for optimism. I think he's finally, you know, I, I feel like I have this conversation every every time I talk about him. It doesn't have to be phenomenal with the bat. It's just got to be not nothing. And, and also to his credit, I'll, I point point out he has a bunch of doubles, and that's gap power, and that's that's good too. Um, you know, maybe you're not going to be a guy who's hitting 30 home runs at third base, but if, if you can provide some gap power and, like you said, drive and runs with that, I think there's a lot of value there. Paul, before we sign off, I wanted to talk a little bit of Pitt. Uh, or yeah, Pitt, Penn State, and West Virginia. Obviously, there's no backyard brawl this year. Or is the is does Pitt do Pitt and West Virginia play this year? Yeah, they do. Okay, well, there we, we do have the backyard brawl, but we also have Penn State versus West Virginia next weekend in that Labor Day weekend opener in Happy Valley. It's going to be a quasi whiteout. I don't think a lot of people saw the online sniping and and <laughs> radio sniping that, that's going on between Penn State and West Virginia coming. Did you, Paul, and is this a all of a sudden, you know, old rivalry that, that feels new again? Well, here's the thing. The sniping that has gone on is actually Adam Crowley's a West Virginia guy. He was a radio, you know, the, the guy, the fan morning host, Adam Crowley. He's a West Virginia guy. But he's he started basically with the whole the reason Penn State doesn't play Pitt is because Penn State is afraid of Pitt. Interestingly enough, it's almost like the Penn State-West Virginia game isn't taking place and that Pitt and Penn State are playing because Pitt and Penn State fans have been going at it. Now, the thing about Penn State fans and West Virginia fans is that Penn State fans have been completely just sort of poo-pooing and dismissing the idea that West Virginia has any prayer at all of winning in, in Happy Valley. And let's face it, Adam, they face long, long odds. I mean, I would think West Virginia is going to get smoked by Penn State. Um, and so I think what, what Adam Crowley did was he deflected because it was kind of one of these things where uh, the discussion about Penn State and West Virginia really wasn't all that fun if you're a West Virginia fan. But it's interesting to me how people will crawl out of the woodwork to argue about Pitt and Penn State and how angry the, Pitt, the Penn State fans are getting because, you know, uh, Crowley and a bunch of these people now have started to pick up the momentum to say, hey, this is uh, this is what I would call uh, a, a fact that Penn State's afraid of Pitt, and this night, and of course, now Penn State fans are heading back with, why would Penn State want to play Pitt? You know, because Penn State has nothing to lose and or nothing to gain by it. Yada yada yada. It's been very entertaining, and all of it, Adam, reminds me how stupid it is that these two teams don't play each other. Yeah, I think, you know, I think from the Penn State fan perspective that they get fired up because they they beat Pitt the last three times they played. I think before, remember how that 12 nothing at Three River Stadium was the last game they played when Pitt won for, you know, close to 20 years. That was what Pitt fans had to hang their hat on. Oh, Penn State's afraid of Pitt because Pitt won the last game, even though Joe Paterno had dominated them for, you know, decades before that. But Pitt won the last game and they had those bragging rights. Um Sometimes I feel like there's a little less juice in that from the pit side because they remember getting beaten those last three times, especially that – remember that bad beating Penn State put on them in that night game at Heinz Field? Yeah, that was ugly. That was absolutely ugly. Uh, uh, well, that was that was rain. Uh, it was terrible. What a terrible game. 
Um, but, um, you know, I feel like I, I think a big, a big part of it is um, the fact that if they play, you know, Penn State, obviously, they have to have, you know, X amount of home games in order to pay the bills. You know, the, the bottom line is college football, the business has changed. And I get that. Um, and I, and, but, you know, but, but to me, I, I feel like Penn State should play and, and Pitt should play, uh, even if it's like a four game series every 10 years. You know, that, you know that, what, that, Paul, I've said that too. Or spread the games over 10 years. It doesn't right. have to be consecutive. I'd love it if you structured in a way where you got to see every senior class play against every senior class. So some of these matchups, you know, we get to see of, of guys, you know, maturing and, and being able to play against each other and create some, some memories in that way. I've always thought if you can spread it out, that'd be a good way to do it. And here's what I'll say about Penn State is a lot of the fans say, well, we want to go play Auburn. But if you look at the future schedules, Paul, there's no Auburn on there. There's, <laughs> there's uh, I think it's we've got West Virginia these next couple of years. They think they added Syracuse. I think your Temple Owls are the, the focal point of another future schedule. Um, you know, these are not – they're, these are not Auburn. These are not big SEC names. These are not right. annually ranked teams that Penn State is playing in these future years. And, you know, I think they could also afford to play Pitt, you know, as, as a, a better opponent than some of those because, you know, with this 12-team playoff and, and the fact that Penn State's no longer locked into Michigan and Ohio State every year, I think you're going to have chances to still get your, yourself into that playoff even if you're playing, a, you know, a, a tough non-conference game like Pitt. Well, I mean, I, I, like I said, I just think, it, you know, it, it, the business has changed. So you can't, you know, obviously you can't play them every year. But you know what? Over the course of, say, 10 years, if Pitt were to play West Virginia four times and uh, uh, Penn State four times, and then, of course, because of the ACC, what do they get? I think they get two or three times against Notre Dame. I mean, that's 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 what it probably should be. I mean, that, that's, you know, that gives them an opportunity every year to have a quote-unquote rivalry game. But again, the business is changing. And because the business has changed, I don't know that it's changed for the better, but I think we get a lot of stupidity. Like, you know, uh, uh, West Virginia is, what, 55 or 60 miles away from Pitt, and West Virginia is in a conference with team with Utah and Arizona and not Pitt. And Pitt's in a conference with Florida State and Miami and not West Virginia. There's some things that are just dumb. Um, so, uh, it, you know, when it comes to Pitt-Penn State, I, I think it, there's a way that you could play it where it would still be something that is semi-regular, that it's not every single year. Um, but that requires sitting down and really taking a look at future schedules and making sure that it makes sense for everybody involved. I'll go out on a limb and, and say we see Penn, Pitt Penn State back on the schedule sometime in the 2030s. I, I think that there's a willingness to do it. I think that those the four games in you know the last decade went went pretty well, and, and I think people enjoyed them. And I'd be surprised if, if it doesn't happen again some somewhat soon, but um, that's just my hot take. Paul, I'm excited to be talking more college sports with you. We're going to keep this Thursday show on the schedule. Um, I'm excited to be talking some college sports with you this year. Um, because we didn't get to do it last year. We were only doing Steelers Sundays. And, you know, I love college right. football. I know you love it too. I'm, I'm looking forward to more of these conversations, especially as we get into next week, you know, setting up that Penn State-West Virginia game. Absolutely. It's going to be fun, you know, especially early in the season. We're going to have, you know, Pitt-West Pitt Virginia, Penn State-West Virginia, 
you know, a little later in the season, we have Pitt Notre Dame. So we should have, we should have a lot of fun. Penn State's got some big games on their schedule. Uh, what's interesting, and this is one of the things that people don't understand, really. Ever since West Virginia went to the Big 12, it's hard really to talk much about them that much because all of their games are not relevant to people that live in this area. If you think about it, you know, they're playing teams from Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, but I think West Virginia obviously is, 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 is in our you know, little uh, readership area and, and things of the such. Um, you know, this is a make or break year for Neil Brown. So we'll probably be talking about them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I covered that West Virginia program a little bit. So I pay a little bit more attention to them than I did when I think when they first went to the big 12, but Paul, I'm going to let you go. I know you're wanting to watch the pirates here. Um, we'll talk to you again next week. I'm looking forward to it. All right, my man. We'll do it. See you, man. Take care, everyone. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette.